There's a little second grade boy who said, if falling in love is anything like learning how to spell, I don't want to do it. It takes too long. Another young boy said, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. Regina, another second grader said, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding second grade hard enough. Angie said, most men are brainless. I wonder what her mother's been telling her. Most men are brainless, so you might have to try more than once to find a live one. And then Manuel summed it all up. He said, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be painful. Love is. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's been a question that people have been asking uh, for centuries. So from the very beginning of time, uh, humanity has been on a search for love and, and trying to find that love that will satisfy the deepest yearnings of our soul. It's not just something that, that we hear today. It's something that we've been hearing from Epictetus uh, in B.C. time to Shakespeare's uh, sonnets of love uh, to uh, the troubadours of my teenage years, the hair bands of the 80s. I'm an 80s child, and uh, every, almost every song that I can think of from the 80s, and by the way, I memorize lyrics to songs the way I try to memorize Scripture. Uh, probably do a little bit better job with Scripture these days, but back then I could, I could memorize a song pretty... Can y'all memorize songs? You find it easier to memorize songs than Scripture? Shame on you. I'm just kidding. Uh, But there is one song that fits, fits perfectly this whole sermon series. And I would, I would love it. I would love it if y'all would memorize the, no, don't. But it's foreigner. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. I want to hear about love. Right. Wasn't that good? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. The the thing about that song is uh, it's typical. It's typical of many of the songs that were uh, songs of my youth, just searching for love, wanting love. Where can I find love? What does love look like? Um, and uh, then there were some songs that tried to give definition to love, and I can't sing those. Uh, but I can tell you this. I've heard some of the songs that are of this generation. At least we were more subtle back then. That's all I'm saying, you know? Uh, but anyway, uh, innuendo and that kind of thing still there. But love is something that we all have been searching for and, and continue. And, and so if we're going to find out what love is, we, we need to... We need to go to the very source of that love, and that is God. Now, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we started this core series, and, and this is Christ, uh, the core of Christ's vision for our church, and the core vision of who we are is what Christ wants us to be. And we began with uh, core number one, that's a, the first, uh, our, our first ambition, uh, we exist to glorify God. And then we saw that our first pleasure Uh, we will find as a church, we will find our greatest pleasure in God's pleasure. The question is not what makes you smile. 
And the question is not what makes me smile. The question is what God makes God smile. Can I say that again? Because, man, that is so important for us to get as a church. See, so many of us are so intent on what makes us smile. that we think if you don't make us smile in church, then you're doing something wrong. But that's really not the question we need to ever ask. The question is not what makes you smile. And the question is not what makes me smile. The question is what makes God smile. All right, so our first pleasure, we will find our greatest pleasure in God's pleasure. And, and then we saw our first vision, uh, uh, our, 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 first, uh, uh, our first mandate. Uh, we will pay the price to advance the gospel. And then we saw uh, the, uh, the, our first affection. This is core number four, our first affection. And that is we will love others the way Christ has loved us. Core number five is our first uh, vocation. Uh, we will call every member uh, to embrace ambassador status. But, but that core number four, uh, we will love others the way Christ has loved us. But how has Christ loved us? And what does that love look like? Uh, that's kind of what we're going to take the next several weeks looking at and, and, and discovering how that we can love the way Christ has loved. Now, I've got to tell you, this is all 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 for the next five weeks. Okay? But and we're going to take it piece by piece, word by word. All right, but that being said, uh, Paul gives us this definition of love, but that love is not the love that we receive, but rather it's the love that we give. And that's important for us to, uh, for us to consider. You see, uh, the, the love that we give is what we own. That, that's what we're responsible for. And so when we look at these qualities, it's, it's, it's how that we love others. And the question that you and I will have to answer is, do I love like that? Do I love others that, this way? So that's going to be the important part. But can I also say, uh, as my daughters continue to uh, see boys from a distance, <laughs> a far away distance, there will eventually be a day when one of those boys is going to come knocking at my door and he's going to say, I want to marry your daughter. Do I have your permission? And I will say no. <laughs> and depending on how persistent he is, he may come back and ask again. And, and, you know, that'll be important. But I can tell you this. I want my daughters to see the qualities that we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks. If my daughters see these qualities in that young man, then I will be closer to okay with them marrying that guy. These are qualities that we must have in our relationships. Now, what Paul does is he begins by looking at, 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 uh, at the church itself. At the end of chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, at the end of it, uh, he has been talking about spiritual gifts. And the church at Corinth was all about spiritual gifts and, and, and how much they knew and, 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 and all the different things they could do. And they talked in tongues. They spoke in tongues and, and they had prophecies and this and that and the other thing. And, and all that was very important to them. And Paul had just finished talking about all those things, talking about the church and how everybody's gifted in different ways. But here's how he ends chapter 12. He says, let me show you a, a more excellent way. What's he talking about there? He's talking about love. And, and really what he's doing is he is correcting 
the misconceptions that the church at Corinth had. Let's, let's look at verses 1 through 3 quickly, and, 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 or we can do it slowly. It doesn't matter. Y'all are going to have to catch up with me. I'm kind of having fun today. And, okay. Was that worship not awesome today? Man, that was sweet. 1 Corinthians 13, begin verse 1. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, get this, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. In verses 1 through 3, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and, and, and he was saying just this simple principle. It's one that we need to get here today. The way we love others shows how close we are to Christ. The way we love others shows how close we are. To Jesus Christ. See, the church at Corinth, and maybe some of us here today, and probably it's true because most of us in the church, we, we prioritize things like how many Bible studies you attend, or how much scripture you've, you've uh, memorized, or, or how long you've been a member of the church, or how much money you give to the church or through the church. And, and we prioritize those things as signs and symbols of spiritual maturity. The church at Corinth, uh, they were prioritizing uh, some of the similar stuff. They were saying, well, if you have this gift, that gift, or, th- or the other gift, then you're a really spiritually mature person. But Paul says, no, that's, all that's hogwash. He said, here's how you see if you're spiritually mature, how well you love others. Let me just talk for a second. It, it really doesn't matter that you've been a member of this church for 110 years. If you don't love others the way Christ has loved you, then you're still a baby in Christ. And it does not matter if you've memorized the whole book of Psalms. If you don't love others the way Christ has loved you, you're an infant in Christ. And it really doesn't matter how many Bible studies you've attended. How many certificates from uh, Baptist Bookstore, Training Union, or Lifeway you've got on your wall? If you're not loving others the way Christ has loved you, you are a child in your faith. That's what Paul is saying. And really, it's returning the church at Corinth to its foundation in the teaching of Christ. Here's what Jesus said. I, I read it earlier. If you looked at Matthew 22, I I read Mark chapter 12. Um, The lawyer comes up, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, liken to it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus connected immediately loving others with loving God. 
Friends, loving one another and loving the other outside of this place, that's not just garnishment on the side of the plate. That's the meat and potatoes of who we are. And the more we grow up in Christ, the more we love others the way Christ has loved us. Now, please don't misunderstand. I I think it's, I, I value people being members here for some time, for a long time. And it grieves my heart uh, when, when we have uh, members like the Kellys. Uh, they're, they're going, they're leaving us. They're going to start being missionaries in another part of the country. And, uh, but Julian, how long have y'all been members here? Yes, ma'am. Since 1986, been members here. And uh, getting ready to move and and uh, go be with family. Uh, but, I mean, it grieves my heart because they're such a valuable part of this family of faith. So don't misunderstand me. I, I value people being members here. But that's not a sign of spiritual maturity. I, I think you know I value putting Scripture in my head and in my heart. I think that's so important. I mean, I do my best every day to put Scripture, as much Scripture as I can, in my head and in my gut. So I think that's important. But that's not the hallmark test of spiritual maturity. Jesus says the picture of spiritual maturity is how well you love others. So how well are you loving others? If I were to die today, and we had a eulogy for me, and it wasn't like normal eulogies, it was a real eulogy, where people said real stuff about me, not the stuff that you're supposed to say at funerals. I mean, if it were, uh, now my family would say real stuff, but, but you, know, you know what I'm talking about. It's not just blowing up nice things. It's, it's actually, here's who Eric Thomas was. The question is, would they say, Man, he was a cantankerous soul. That Eric Thomas, he was mean as a snake. All that Eric Thomas, he he always walked around with a frown on his face. Couldn't even tell that he was happy, ever. That Eric Thomas, he was bitter. That Eric Thomas treated everyone he encountered like they were a dog. Or would they say, you know, Eric wasn't perfect, but he tried to love people. What would they say about you? Would they say, man, they love good. The closer you are to Jesus, the more you're going to love others. Period. So we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at what this love looks like. And, and it begins with love is patient. Love is patient. Now, patient is a specific word in the Greek. And, and the Greek word is macrothumeo. It's a verb. And it, it literally means to have a long fuse. It means that, that and, and the New King James Version is not patient. It is It is long-suffering. But as you look at this term patient, 
Um, what, are some, what are some ways that you would describe patience? What, what does patience mean to you? Keeping your cool. What else? Tolerance. Okay. Say it again. Understanding. I've ignored this side over here. Patience. How would you describe, define patience? Taking time. Okay. Anybody else back here? What? Forgiveness. What over here? Waiting. Everybody said at every hour people have said waiting. Given another chance 70 times 7. Yes. You don't have to raise your hand. Just speak. Endurance. That's good. That's good. Going the extra mile. Excellent. Patience. And all of those, all of those descriptors help us understand a little bit more about patience. But when we look at patience here, we're looking at really an Old Testament concept. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, the, the wisdom writer, Solomon, he wrote and he said, A wise person is patient, or another way to describe it is long-suffering, but really the, the real word, the Hebrew word, a wise person has a long nose. That's the Hebrew phrase, or a long face. And having a long nose or a long face is a description of who God is. And it's a description, an idiom, that means you've got a long fuse. It takes a lot to make you lose your cool. And that's, that's patience. And really, as we look at patience in the Old Testament, it's a picture of who God is and how he relates to humanity and how he has, um, how he has related to his people time and time and time again. It is withholding what we deserve because of what we've done as patience. It's where God doesn't automatically give us what we deserve when we fail to meet his standards. You look at how he dealt with the children of Israel. They would, uh, he called them out. He, he made them his own. He put them in a promised land, and then they continually rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. But God didn't automatically wipe them out. He gave them room for repentance. That's patience. Patience is where God, in mercy, does not give immediately what we deserve. But he gives us room to repent. In my, <coughs> in my family, patience was pictured regularly as I was growing up. Uh, as a young boy, I was kind of active. I don't know what you would call that today, but they called it active back then. He's an active child. Uh, oh, that Eric, he's an active child. I mean, it sounded like a curse word or something. He's active. Yes, I am. I'm very active. Uh, But anyway, as I I was growing up and and I was an active child, I enjoyed doing things. And some of the things that I enjoyed doing, my parents did not appreciate. Many of them, they frowned upon. Um, And I've told the story before. My earliest memory of doing things that my parents did not appreciate was when I was about five and my older brother and I were taking 
uh, little uh, holly bush stickers uh, after church. And after church, everybody was in the courtyard. And so we'd take those little holly bush stickers and go around. And we were about hand high to, to people. And so we'd go around, poke them in the hand, you know. I was an active child. But the way my, my parents, they, they understood the principle of love is patient. And, and here's how they demonstrated patience. They didn't immediately give me what I deserved. And if they gave me immediately what I deserved, then I would be black and blue at all times. But what they did, what, because we believe in physical, corporal punishment in my house. And so, uh, uh, except with my daughters, because they don't need it. Uh, but uh, as, as, I, as they would see me doing that which they did not want me to do, here's, here's what mom, and dad, mom or dad would do first. They would go, Eric, that's one. Y'all know that's one. Now, they didn't give me what I deserved in that moment. They did the divine countdown. That's one. They held back. The judgment that I deserved in that moment. They held it back. They, they, they were holding it back. That's mercy. That's one. And I would straighten up for about two seconds, but because I was an active child, I would go straight back to what I was doing, and, and they would catch my attention again. They, hey, Eric, Eric. That's two. And then that's three. At three. Three, the hammer falls. But anyway, but patience is that countdown. And and that's exactly what God has done. Now, when we look at patience, as Paul is describing, he's talking about our relationships with one another. So love is patient means simply this, that love extends mercy to those who do not meet our expectations. Love is extends mercy to those who don't meet our expectations. How many of you have people in your life who have not met your expectations? Hands down. Is there anybody here who has never, ever had anyone not meet? That's a lot of negatives. Now, everybody encounters people who don't meet the expectations. I, I realize that, that uh, I fail to meet people's expectations on a pretty regular basis. And let me say, I'm sorry. Sort of. I am. I, I want to meet expectations. But, but I know that, that even those who are closest to me, they have expectations, and those are the expectations I'm going to worry about the most, right? And, and, and I fail to meet the expectations of, of my wife and, and, and those who are closest to me. Patience is where I extend mercy when they don't meet my expectations. Can I ask you a question? Do you extend mercy to those who do not meet your expectations? Let me start with the most general first. One good way to see if your love is patient, one good way is how do you treat the server at the restaurant when they don't meet your expectations? They they don't bring the water in time. They they bring you a lukewarm cup of coffee, or the food doesn't seem to be 
uh, up to your uh, standard? And, and, and how do you treat them when they don't meet your expectations? Is it a picture of patience? You might say, well, Eric, that doesn't matter. No, that supremely matters. Because the way you show patience is a picture of how God has been patient with you. That server is looking at you and they're evaluating the universe through the lens of your love. We need to have that kind of weight and heaviness about us. Do the servers find patience? And you might say, well, well, they did, they, they didn't, they didn't do right. So because they didn't do right, I'm going to withhold my tithe. I mean my tip. Is that patience? Are you extending mercy? I wonder what it would be like if, as the church leaves this building and goes to the restaurants all throughout Hampton Roads, I wonder what would be different if we all determined at lunch we will be loving others the way Christ has loved us. And we're going to be patient. We're going to extend mercy to those who don't meet our expectations. I wonder what kind of difference that would make. Love is patient. Now, that's general. What about at home? Yikes. See, one of the things I understand about myself, and I'm not going to speak for any of y'all, but here's what I understand about myself. I will be more patient with those that I do not know than I am with those who are the most important in my world. Now, what a crime. But it's true. Uh, it is my family that will receive those hot flash of anger. It, it's, it's those who are closest to me that should receive the greatest mercy from me that get the greatest wrath. See, patience is when we cut slack. And yet, with my children... And with my wife, so much of my life, I'm not cutting slack. Are you extending mercy to those who are most important to you? Are, are you extending mercy to the people in this room, in this church? Are you extending mercy? They don't meet your expectations. So what's your response? Is it to extend mercy? Or to punch them in the nose? Spiritually. Through a prayer request. <laughs> Guys, this is, not, this is not a minor thing. John 13, 34, and 35. 
A new commandment, this is Jesus talking, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. A new commandment. The greatest of all commandments is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second liken to it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's deep passion for his people. And the closer we are to Christ, the more we're going to love and extend mercy to those who don't meet our expectations. By this, the world will know that we are his followers. By how well we love others. Are you extending mercy? Extending mercy to those who don't meet our expectations. My wife is not here today. Uh, she is at a, a, a wedding in New Orleans with the girls. And, and uh, 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 you know, I really, I'm going to have to get this sermon on DVD or CD so she can hear it because I fail to meet her expectations and I want her to extend me mercy. <laughs> I, honestly. Isn't that, the, isn't that the kind of love that we want to get? We don't, want, we don't want a love that keeps score. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but keeps score of how we fail to meet expectations. We don't want that kind of love. Well, I can't control what my wife does. I did, that's a great revelation after 20-some-odd years of marriage. I can't control what my wife does, but I certainly can control the kind of love that I show her. Husbands and wives, stop trying to fix your spouse and start fixing yourself. Love is patient. All right? By the way, my wife extends me mercy. It's just she has to extend so much that she runs out after a while. Um, love extends mercy. And after all, isn't that what God has done for us? Giving us room to be right with him. Love is patient. Love is patient. And, and uh, think of it this way, um, maybe a phrase. Restrain, not retaliate. Rather than looking for an opportunity, I'm going to get you back for what you've done to me. We're going to bite our tongue and hold back retribution. Everybody do this little exercise with me, if you don't mind. And up there in the balcony all the way at the top, and all points in between, will you do this one little exercise for me, okay? No, not my hands. Look, at, look right here. Everybody put your top teeth and your lower teeth on top of your tongue. Bite your tongue. Everybody, right now. Okay, thank you. Our relationships would be a lot better if we did more of that. And we would love others 
more powerfully with patience if we did more of that. Love is patient. So we restrain, don't retaliate. Love is patient. And then love is kind. What do you think of when you think of the word kind? Get, give, me some, give me some descriptions there. What kindness? What is, what is kindness? What? Say, say again. Favor? Not judgmental. Caring? Is that what you said? Caring? Yeah, I have hearing problems. Y'all extend mercy to me, okay? What? Supportive? Friendly? What's this? this? What? Nice. All, say again. Honest? Thoughtful? Prayerful? What? Jesus. Oh, he played the Jesus card. Yes, he did. Excellent. You get the prize. You get, in fact, is that bag still back there, Tommy, or did you take it? It's gone? Oh, I'll get, come see me at the reception. I'll get you something. All right. Playing the Jesus card. But that's the right answer. I mean, no matter the question, Jesus is the right answer. Uh, All those things are true about kindness. Um, In the Greek language, this, this verb, love is kind, this verb has two aspects of it. First aspect, love is nice and thoughtful. And, and it, it, I think of it this way. It's smile. You know, it, 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 it's, it's love with a smile on it, right? So that's one aspect. Smile in my heart, smile on my face. The other aspect of this verb is help. It's, it's actually going and doing something. I see something going on in your life. I see a need in your life, so I'm going to help. So love is kind carries with it both of those things. I think of it this way, and if I could paint the picture for us. Um, in my house, my four, my four daughters have responsibility to clean the kitchen. That's their job, or one of their jobs. And, and so <clears throat> as they've been given responsibility to clean the kitchen... Uh, there comes a point where one of them, it's their night to clean the kitchen, but their schedule's out of hand, they've got too much homework or whatever, and they are just swamped. And so they will ask one of their sisters, can you do the kitchen for me? And if they're persuasive enough, then perhaps, maybe, somehow, someway, without parental intervention, somehow, someway, one of the other sisters will say, yes, I'll do it. But invariably, they will help but they will not have a smile on their face. It will be, okay, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we think of love as kind, it is not just helping someone, but it's helping them with a smile in your heart and a smile on your face. Love is kind means that love uh, makes it, uh, makes helping others generously and graciously a priority. 
Love is kind means that we see the need, we meet the need. And it brings a smile to our heart and a smile on our face. We do it with cheerfulness. And love is kind means that we make it a priority and we don't have an application process that people have to go through in order for us to help. And here's what I mean by that. My, my second daughter, Elizabeth, she graduates in a couple of weeks and she's going to go to Christopher Newport. That means I've got two children in college, one at, at Liberty and one will be at Christopher Newport University. And what that ultimately means is a lot of paperwork. I mean a ton of paperwork. And my, my daughter Elizabeth, she has applied for every scholarship under the sun. I mean, I, I mean, and she has been persistent, not because we've talked to her about that. She had just been, mm, she's just applying for those scholarships. Now, when you apply for a scholarship, here's what you're doing. You're making application to a board, telling them who you are, and what you've got on your plate and all the things about you, and they decide whether you're worthy of their help. That's an application. And nothing wrong with that in a scholarship. I mean, that, that's just the way it works, and that's okay. They've got to decide how to dispense that money. But when it comes to love, we help others without them having to fill out an application. Invariably, this leads people to somewhat of distress. And you say, oh, you mean I'm supposed to help everybody? I mean, what do I say? Yeah, yes. You see a need, you meet a need. Remember, the lawyer came to Jesus and said, uh, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer then literally, trying to justify himself, the scripture says, asked, who then is my neighbor? He said, uh, I'm supposed to love everybody? So Jesus then says, here's a neighbor. Here's what loving your neighbor looks like. And he told the story of the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, there were three religious folks that saw this guy who had fallen among thieves. This guy got beaten up on the road, and these three religious preacher dudes, like me, walked past this guy, and in their own personal mind application, they said, that cat is not worthy of my help. They saw the need, but they weren't about loving But the good Samaritan saw the man in need and didn't ask for an application. He just went straight to work and graciously and generously made helping that person a priority. Love is kind. Are you kind? By this, all people know my, that you are my disciple by your love for one another. Is your love kind? By the way, can I just give you a couple of clues that your love is not kind? Just a couple of clues to discern. If you are consistently talking about somebody else to beat them down and build yourself up, your love is not kind. 
and you're a baby in Jesus Christ. That person may be the closest thing in the world to you, or maybe a stranger on the street, but if you are continually beating people down with your words, gossiping about them, slandering them, or just, just you know, running off at the mouth to push them down so that you feel better about yourself, your love is not kind. If you are constantly trying to have your way instead of helping somebody else experience a blessing, if you're always pushing everyone else to the margin, you're about me, myself and I, chances are your love is not kind. Your love is kind when you make it a priority to priority to help others with the same passionate persistence that God helped you. Love is kind. Are you? Am I? When it's all said and done, these two attributes, love is patient, love is kind. Love extends mercy to those who don't meet our expectations. Love makes helping others graciously and generously a priority. Love is patient, love is kind. What are these two qualities? They're the qualities of God himself and how he is related to us. Today, you and I exist because God has been patient with us. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were hostile and rebellious against God. And yet God did not give us what we deserved. He extended mercy to us and gave us room for repentance. Not only was he patient with us, but he was also kind. He saw the need that we had. We were sinners separated from him. And there was nothing we could do to make up for the sin in our life. But God was kind. And he sent Jesus to build the bridge between us and himself, to die in our place upon a cross, to take the punishment that my sin demanded and deserved upon himself, to die on a cross in my place, to be buried, to be raised again three days later so that I could have a chance at new life. Yes, God's love is patient and kind. And because of it, we live. Now today, Will you help somebody else live? Because your love is patient. 